if you will, to 1 Samuel, the 11th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 11th chapter. As you turn there, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. I say 1 Samuel. It's 2 Samuel, my apologies. 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. Now this morning, I want to share with you as we go to the Word, we have been talking about living in the land of the Spirit, the land of promise, driving out the inhabitants. You will note, and we have made reference to Joshua 3.10, how that we find that as Israel came out of the Egyptian bondage, wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, and now they are entering into the land of promise, that the Lord said, I'm going to give you a sign that you're going to be able to drive out, or I'm going to drive the enemies out before you. Whenever the priest with the Ark of the Covenant, which we have discovered, represents the Lord Jesus in that scenario. And I won't take time to clarify that, but we see that the Ark of the Covenant represents in that text Jesus himself. And you'll find throughout the the Old Covenant signs and symbols, types of Christ. But we see as the priest stepped into the River Jordan, the river that separated the wilderness from the place of promise, that the waters parted. And the Lord said, by this you'll know that I have driven out the inhabitants of the land. Now we find the New Testament fulfillment of that in each of the Gospels whenever they talk about Jesus being baptized in the Jordan by John. Jesus came out of the, or before he went into the wilderness wandering, he was baptized by John, but what do we discover? Whenever he was baptized by John, the physical Jordan did not open, did it? But each of the references show us that the heavens opened as a declaration to you and I that Jesus Christ came to drive out the inhabitants in our land of promise as we live here. Isn't that a beautiful analogy as we see that? I found out that even of late, how wonderful our God truly is. I encourage you to find the Wednesday night service that we, last Wednesday night, God gave revelation about the good news and his righteousness. But how many know that his good news is not good until we understand how bad our bad news is? His good news is not good news until I understand how bad my bad news is and how desperately I need him. And how the chasm between he and I was so vast that nothing on earth would ever satisfy the sin debt that was against me. Only the cross, only Calvary, only Jesus could pay the price. And that price bridged the gap between he and I. We talked about, and don't be surprised, and as I've said, the Revival is going to come to this house in such unprecedented measures. We're already seeing the signs of it. 
people moving and God delivering and God setting free and you, God has chosen you to be a part of this and maybe you live some distance away. Take the fire and go to your home and let the Spirit of the Lord begin to cause things to happen in and in your environment. Amen? But we see that as we enter into the fire of God, the serpent is always lingering about. Don't be surprised when you find giants in your land. Don't be surprised as we looked at the Hivites, the lies that we've driven out with truth, the Hittites, fear as we've driven out by faith, and the Pezurites as represent sin, and we have driven them out by the relationship with God. Today we want to talk about another enemy that we want to drive out of the place of promise. We're going to talk about the Canaanites. Now the Canaanites, and we're going to get to our text, and we've got a number of verses to read in just a moment. And you'll understand why in just a minute. But it's interesting to me as I look at the root meanings of the words and the names that you find out that the Canaanites, they do represent something and an enemy in our life and maybe one of the most detrimental enemies in our life if we don't watch it. Canaanites, the Canaanites means a peddler, a merchant, a trafficker. In other words, one that has wares and they want to sell you. I don't know about you, but I, I don't enjoy going into a place of business to pick up something and there's a peddler there wanting to sell me windows and doors and all kinds of wares. And if you're part of that employment, I applaud you for being employed. But for me, I like to go in the store, get what I want, and come home. Amen? Amen. But as you look there, there's a, there's a peddler there, and he's trying, to, he's trying to sell you something. But in the root meaning of that name, Canaanite, it also means to bend the knee, to humiliate, to vanquish, to bring down, to humble, to bring under subjection. So what does the enemy ultimately want to do in your life and my life? He wants us to enter into a place of compromise so that he can ultimately bring us under subjection and to humiliate us. So the Canaanites represent compromise in our life. Now, their compromise can be a positive word and a negative word. When it's positive, that means that we settle on our differences and we have mutual concession. An example of that might be I want to go play golf, but she wants to go shopping. So the compromise is we go shopping at the golf store. That might be a, a, a good compromise. Well, the compromise might be I go shopping with her one day and she goes golfing with me one day. That's a, that's a good thing. Every relationship needs compromise. You can't get along without compromise. If you're, it's my way or the highway, you're not going to have strong relationships. So it's a positive. But a negative when it comes to compromise is to make dishonorable or shameful concessions. In other words, the enemy gives you something, puts a lure in front of you because he's always fishing. You latch hold and you're drug in to that place that you don't need to be. But a textbook definition of compromise, it's interesting, it is to bind by bargain. To bind by bargain. What is compromise and where do we find compromise so often in the very borders of promise 
The enemy is always luring and, le- and, and, and lingering about, wanting to draw us into covenant with him by binding us, by bartering and bargaining with us. Now, the devil doesn't care if I have a wholehearted commitment to him. He will settle for a half-hearted commitment to God. The results are the same. And sometimes they produce better results for his kingdom. Let's look now in 2 Samuel. As we look in 2 Samuel, we see a tragic story. We see a tragic tale of a man who had such favor, such anointing. The shepherd king, David, found himself in a place of compromise. This man who was a man after God's own heart, killer of giants. He not only killed giants, but he raised up giant killers. His mighty men. He instituted worship. He wrote majority of the Psalms. Every, he became the standard bearer where every other king was measured according to David. Yet David was also a man who was a man who got lured away and compromised and reaped the devastating effects of that. Take heed you stand. Take heed you stand today, at least you fall. There's one preacher that said, I can endure anything but temptation. Let me say to you today, no one is above the flawed nature that you were born into this world with. We must be dependent upon the Spirit of God. And it's only in the times where we think we've got it all figured out. Maybe you grew up in this and that's great. Maybe you have a ministry position. Maybe you hold credentials. But let me tell you, you are still the target of the enemy and maybe more so. You have not arrived until the King of kings and the Lord of lords says, Enter thou in the good and faithful servant into the joys of the Lord. But as long as we're in this life, there's going to be trials. The enemy is going to try to take you out. God has given us the ability through the power of Jesus Christ to overcome. This tragic tale we begin here in 2 Samuel. And this is not to reap and to heap condemnation upon you. If you're not living in Christ, then the only recourse you have is condemnation. The only place you can find freedom from condemnation is to find yourself in Christ. Everyone has fallen, everyone has faltered, but there is answers in the Word of God. I want us to look here in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. I'm going to be reading a very uh, a number of verses in this chapter. Stay with me. Get the imagery. Maybe you haven't heard the story. Pay particular attention. It happened, chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him, all of Israel. They destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. 
The woman was very beautiful to behold. And David sent and inquired about the woman. Some said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. And she was cleansed for her, from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And then David sent Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to the, David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked him how Joab was doing and how the battle was going and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a, a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to the house. And when David told, he tried a second time, notice there in verse 10. And so when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to the house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? And why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab, the servants of my Lord, are encamped in an open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as you as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And then David said to Uriah, wait here today and tomorrow. I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and that night. If you skip on down, what you find out is that David could not get him to go lay with his wife. But instead, David sends a letter in the hand of Uriah for Joab and in that letter he tells him go now and let Uriah get in the hottest part of the battle that I want you to draw back so that he may be destroyed that very thing happens it happened to the psalmist it happened to the shepherd king. It happened to the giant killer and giant producer. He's now become a liar and a thief, now murderer. What does the Lord, what has happened? Well, the very thing, Uriah not only died, but there was an un, there was a number of others that died alongside of him to accomplish David was trying to accomplish. So Joab sent some messenger and writes in there, I said, everything you ask has happened and Uriah is dead, but also many others are dead also. But let not the king be displeased. Letter comes to David and David looks it at and he says, well, just go tell Joab to take the city. One person dies by the sword as another. Just war happens. There are casualties. Go ahead and take care of business. Now, Bathsheba, after her time of mourning, is taken by David and brought in, and he makes her his wife. See, all of this begins to transpire. David maybe thinks in his heart that he is above the law. He's above the view of the Lord 
Because that's not the case. What he does does not please the Lord. And we'll get into the answers in just a moment. But let me tell you about where David starts. Where he ends up is from his starting point. Where he starts is a place of complacency. He's compromising. And what compromise is easy to slip in when we become complacent. See, instead of David going out to battle, he sent somebody else. Where was David found? At the house. He stayed home instead of going into warfare. He stayed at the house. Other things were were happening around him, but he decided, I'm just going to stay here at the house. I'm tired. I've got plenty of battles under my belt. I raised up leaders. Let them go. Maybe he was weary. Let me tell you, when you become weak in your flesh, you become vulnerable in the sight of the enemy. Rest assured, he is a master of convincing. He propagates, and he's there trying to trade off with you. You're tired. You don't need to go. You don't need to get up. Just stay right here. You don't need to go to battle. You don't need to go to prayer. You don't need to go to the Word of God. Just go ahead and just stay put. You're tired. You're wore out. Yes, if we burn the candle at both ends long enough, we will burn out. If we overstack the balance between rest and work, yes, one day we will find ourselves in a place where we are not fit. There needs to be a balance of rest. Well, see, David had rested at home. At the time when the kings went out to war, in other words, at a time where the rains had ceased and they could get supply lines into their troops, he had been in home quite a number of weeks, waiting for the season where they would go out in the time of war. But he became complacent. Compromise will attack you in a place of complacency. If we also look here in the word of the Lord, we find out that David not only stayed at the house, but idle hands, as the adage goes, is the devil's workshop. You've got a lot to do if you're not fighting against your flesh, if you're not fighting against and, and, and trying to conquer and trying to accomplish the will of God and you're staying at home. You lay off all the things that are going to benefit you. Why does the Lord say, do not forsake the assemblings of yourself? And it's not just showing up to church. When you find yourself isolating, separating, getting away from the things of God, you've become a target of the enemy. Now he is at a place, begins to show other signs of backsliding. He's become complacent. It's a smug satisfaction of where I'm at. And now he begins to contemplate. He not just sees the woman, and you're going to see sinful things that are going to try to draw you away. It's inevitable in this life, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations. It's, it's going to happen. There's, there's no one above it. Let me tell you, as I've heard years ago, the old timers would say, it's all right to let the birds fly over your head, just don't let them build a nest in your hair. There's going to be times where, where you're going to see something, and all of a sudden your, your, your attention is going to be drawn to that. Instead of succumbing to that, you've got to go back to God. Say, Lord, help me in this situation. All of a sudden, there's complacency. 
Now he's contemplating. He saw the woman. He didn't leave it at that. Now he's inquiring. His inquiring mind wants to know. The inquiring, he becomes, he becomes curious. Curiosity begins to devour him. And let me tell you, curiosity will not only kill the cat. It'll kill you and the mouse and everything else around. You need to stay away from it. You can't handle it. None of us can. Curiosity is the desire to learn or to know more about the thing, to become inquisitive. The enemy would love for you and I to become inquisitive about the thing that we see. Now I say to you this morning, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. The choices, and young people, I can't stress this enough. The choices you make today will one day make you. The choices that each of us are making today, no matter how insignificant they may appear, one day they're going to make us into whoever it is we choose to be. Remember, this is a man who is the measuring stick for other kings. The giant killing psalmist, shepherd king. He enters into complacency through compromise, contemplation, curiosity. Now all of a sudden the curiosity has overwhelmed him and he goes and he takes her. One who did not belong to him. He took her. He committed the act of sin. We never expected it to go this far. I'm with child, David. Oh, no. Let's cover it up. Let's hide it. Call Uriah from the battlefield. Uriah, you've been out there battling. Good job, man. Good job. I'll tell you what I need you to do. I need you to go down to your house. In fact, I've got a gift that's going to follow you. I'm going to take care of you, and you are going to go into the house, and, and, and you're going to sleep with your wife, and everything will be fine, and they'll say it's your child, even though it looks like me. But anyway, it's going to be your child. Except Uriah, who the Bible says was a Hittite, was a man who had more integrity than David did. Because he was out there in the battle. He was out there fighting against the enemies of the kingdom of God. He was fighting for his king and country. He was fighting for the deliverance of an oppressed people. He was ensuring the freedoms that was afforded to Israel, the covenant people. So he wouldn't do it. The Bible says now, David pulls him back, gets him drunk, throws him back of the house. But still, he wouldn't go to his house. Even though the king was pouring it down his throat, I'm not going to the house. Okay, I've got only one resolve. Take this letter in your hand. Go back out to the battlefield. Don't read it, don't look at it, just take it to your commander. See, when you find yourself complacent, that's the quickest way to get to the altar and say, God, free my heart. When you find yourself contemplating the sin that the enemy is putting out there, get to the altar and ask God's help. When you find yourself at a place and you're curious, oh, the curiosity is just reaching, reaching, reaching. Get away from it. Turn it off. Go somewhere else. Get up from there and do something different. 
It's the next thing you know, you'll commit. And if you commit, and you don't come clean, you'll start covering it up. And you think you got it hidden. You think you got it hidden. It may be hidden from others physically, but it's never hidden from God. Never ever is it hidden from God. He sees it all. He sees every, every bit of your heart, all that is in you. He knows. And ultimately, you'll have to give an account to him. He knows where you're at. Now, verse 25, David gets word. Uriah's dead. David's response, oh, well, everybody dies in battle. Just go ahead and secure the city. He becomes calloused. What happens when sin enters in? We become calloused. What happens when we get away from God? We think of ourselves more and we think of others less. I get away from it. If you think about yourself more than you think about others, there's a real possibility you're backslidden. If you've ever front, front slid. Because you got the heart of God, you're going to think about others more than you think about yourself. What was... David's ultimate divide, demise here. He lost vision of what he was supposed to be doing. He lost sight of God. He lost sight of his family. He lost sight of his call. He lost sight of his children. Where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, people let loose of restraint. You know the issues we have today? It is a sin issue, but more importantly, it is a focus issue. Losing sight of the call of God. If you're working in the kingdom of God, if you're battling in the kingdom of God, you need to have in the forefront of your mind, you need to be fixed upon the cross and what Christ has done. And know this, God is coming for all humanity. And one day we will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day you will face God. But it's not just you. What about your children? What decisions are you making? Did you stand on this stage years ago and dedicate a child to the Lord but not take up the commitment to follow after the Lord? Train up a child in the way they are to go. There's no, there's no place for second best. There's no place in the kingdom of God in the world we're living to relinquish our children to the enemy. God's desire is that you get a vision for your children and for your grandchildren. I learned this from Andrea's great-grandfather. He was a Pentecostal preacher. He was a Pentecostal preacher who literally wore the knees out of his, his britches, his pants. When he would go in the field praying not only for the present generation, for generations to follow. I pray continually for my children and my grandchildren and my unborn grandchildren. I didn't start that last week. I started it whenever I came into the kingdom. 
And now my wife and I started serving the Lord. And now I began to pray for my unborn children and every generation to follow. Hmm? She has no one. I'm talking about grandchildren. My unborn grandchildren. I may have some spiritual children coming forward. Keeping it straight. Thank you, babe. Thank you. Her name is not Sarah. Okay. Okay. Need just a little levity in here, didn't we? How many know today, if you're hiding, trying to cover it up, it's a miserable place to live. Miserable place. The only way to conquer and combat complacency and compromise is let the Lord refocus the vision that he has for your life. Because if you're losing restraint, if you're not holding on to the moorings that God has put in place, could it be that you're bartering with the enemy and he's winning? You become calloused. And then the word comes by the prophet Nathan. He shows up and he says, David, I'm going to tell you a little story. There was a, a man who had a little lamb and it was his only lamb. And this little lamb was like a child to him, so precious, so dear, so near to him. He held on to that, that lamb and cared for it. But, you know, there was a rich man holding a feast, and he had flocks upon flocks and flocks. And, oh, you know, this rich man goes and he snatches up that little lamb instead of drawing from his own flocks. He slew that lamb and fed it to his visitors. Oh, man, David just become enraged. He became so critical. He said he's going to pay back fourfold of what he has taken. How dare he? You know what happens when you backslide? You become complacent. You become calloused. You start covering up the sin. Next thing you know, you are so critical. You're walking around with a beam in your eyes trying to do eye surgery on someone who has a speck. You got a critical spirit in here? You're backslidden. You lost vision. Because God's not asking you what everybody else is doing. He's only concerned with what you're doing for the kingdom of God. Well, there was a divine revelation that came that day. David, let me tell you what. You're the man. Oh, you're the man. You're the one. You took Uriah's only precious person out of his life. He was out fighting the enemies of the kingdom of God, doing his part. You sent a letter. You had that man killed. You become callous and you covered it up. David, you're the one. 
Let me say to you today, until you live with this knowing you're the one, you're not going to find deliverance from your backslidden condition. You're the one. It's nobody else. It's you. It's you. You're the one. You're guilty. You're guilty of the sin. You're guilty of the crime that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. It's you and you alone. It's nobody else. It's you. You're guilty. But when Jesus Christ comes, we see also the mercy of the Lord in this story. God did not take David out. He should have, possibly. But shouldn't the Lord have taken us all out at one time or another? But instead, conviction came. I want to say to you today, there's nothing we need more in the world than conviction. We need conviction in the house. We need conviction in our home. We need conviction so that our children and our children's children's children may come to know how is that conviction going to come? You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a vision for future generations. You've got to have a vision for the reality that God is coming and he's going to take forth a bride and bring that bride who has wholly submitted themselves by the washing of the word and the blood of the lamb and committing themselves wholly has only eyes for the Lord. Jesus said, I'm going to drive out every single enemy that's in your place of promise. How do we overcome compromise? We have methods and means through the word of the Lord God. And let me say to you today, David in his repentant psalm, Psalms 51, he called out upon God and he said, God created me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a steadfast Spirit within me. Let me tell you where it begins. Start calling out to God. If there's somewhere, some point in this message that God has pierced your heart and he's saying to you, you're the man, you're the woman. Well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done those things. But every sin against God is spiritual adultery. You get away from the Lord. Have you decided to stay home when you should be battling for your children? your children's children have you given up the fight have you decided it's better just to have a temporal satisfaction versus generations to follow i showed you my grandbaby one of my grandbabies she's worth it your children are worth it you are worth it the vision of god goes beyond you It's generational. How do we drive out compromise? We get a vision. Let me encourage men and women in this house, do something, some homework today. Spend time doing it this week. Write out a personal vision statement. Make yourself accountable to that statement. Let that vision include your relationship with God, your relationship with others, uh, fulfilling the call and the purpose of God on your life. Uh, And when you feel yourself slipping, go back to it and say, God, renew this, renew this, renew this in my heart. In the book of Revelations, we find that the Lord tells the church there at Ephesus 2 and 4, he says, nevertheless, I speak against you that you have left your first love. Remember before whom you were. Before you've fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You want to realign your vision? Call out upon God. 
to renew your heart and your spirit. Repent and return to God. Let his love. I can't tell you the times that because of the maybe being battle weary, maybe the bombardment of all the stresses of life, we could feel our hearts become cold and indifferent. But you can call out upon God and say, Lord, forgive me for the absence of love that I have. And Lord, I'm asking you today to feel me again. Let me encourage you to do something when you leave this house. If you want to realign your vision, not just write it down. I want you to call out upon God. I want you to repent before the Lord. But I want you to do the first works again. What did you do when you first became a child of God? Did you not go after the Lord? Did you not enjoy times of prayer and reading of the word? Didn't you not enjoy getting out, seeing the fruit of the spirit of God in your life? Let me say to you today, that a field that has not been cultivated for some time takes a little work to get it back in shape. Ed and I used to walk out into the country and we had a little country road that we walked on. And one side was, there was, for, for as far as you could see, acres filled with the most beautiful wheat that was out there. And that farmer had worked that field over and over again could not even find a, a sprig of a weed anywhere. It was a beautiful sight. We looked on the same road, the same region, on the other side of the road. Guess what? It was filled with thorns. It was filled with weeds. It was filled with, with all manner of things that were not edible or useful. Mesquite trees all over the place. What was the difference? One side had been cultivated. The other side hadn't. But the side that was cultivated didn't start out with cultivation. It started out being completely identical to the same environment on the side before. But someone took the effort. You have to take the effort to have a vision for your family, for future generations, to cultivate a relationship with God. Keep plowing, keep sowing, keep Going so that you may reap in due season by the strength of God. Amen? Ask God to anoint your heart and mind.